Welcome to Gunfighter Cast, episode number 112. Today, I'm going to talk about how to shoot guns better. But first, this episode of Gunfighter Cast is brought to you by Bravo Concealment Holsters. Use our coupon code GUNFIGHTER at checkout when you visit bravoconcealment.com and get 10% off your entire purchase. All right, welcome back. Pretty simple. Today, I'm going to talk about how to shoot guns better, and I'm going to focus on one thing and pretty much one thing only. And that is the most important part of shooting the gun and being accurate and precise with your shots. Uh, That's the trigger. I grew up in a world where people always blamed breathing, sights not being aligned, pretty much everything, and didn't focus a whole lot on the trigger as I've experienced more and more training everybody from professionals uh, that carry a gun every day to regular armed citizens who carry a gun every day to brand new shooters who don't even know what in the bullet comes out of or what all the buttons do. So in that, we'll talk first about, if we're going to talk about trigger, we got to talk about side alignment, right? Not really, because I, I don't even talk about side alignment. Uh, anybody who's an instructor out there, I would uh, challenge you to, to give this a try. Something that I've been doing for a little while now, just kind of collecting some information. And uh, when I have a brand new shooter come up, the first thing I do is explain to them, you know, kind of how the gun works and how to, the safety side and, and how to handle the gun and load it and clear it and all those things. And then they want to learn how to shoot the gun and get a little bit more comfort. So then before we go out and shoot, I, I teach them a trigger press, uh, how to actually press the trigger consistently and in the correct way that's setting them up for success in the future. I don't at any time talk about how to align the sights. Uh, we get out to the range, put eyes and ears on. And I say, here's the target, put it at, you know, three or five yards away. I say, I want you to aim in whatever aim means to you. I want you to point the gun at this part of the target. And I want you to apply that trigger press that I just taught you. And I'm finding that I'm getting good, consistent groups. And often they're right where I wanted those shots to go without ever even explaining how to align the sights on the gun. So I kind of deduce a couple of things from that. Uh, One, the sights are not as important as maybe we thought they were, uh, especially at those distances. Now, the gun has to be pointed, and we have to have a reference point on the target. We have to have a reference point on the gun, and I want to have some type of sight alignment if I want extreme precision. Uh, How we get that sight alignment, there's a few different methods for that. So I tell them to point the gun and use the trigger press that I taught them, and they're often hitting the aiming area that I told them to aim at. And it's, it's interesting because when it's done, I ask them, what did you see? How did you align that front sight with the rear sight? How was it held there? Uh, what was your perception of the alignment there uh, between the, you know, the relationship of the front sight and the rear sight and the target? And I have them draw it. And in most cases, they draw correct sight alignment. Uh, in most cases, uh, there, it's, it's the, what we teach and what we perceive to be correct sight alignment. But sometimes someone has the base of the front sight flush with the top of the rear sight, something kind of funky. So their their group ends up going significantly high, or they'll do something like the, the top of the front sight low in the rear sight, or just align the dots or the U or the square, whatever is on the, on the sights. Sometimes they'll do those things. But that tells me another thing. Sight alignment is as intuitive as an iPhone, right? So it is intuitive for someone to align things, especially in Western culture, where we take our shoes off and put the left one on the left, right on the right, toes or heels online. We park, even if there's no parking lines, we park aligned to the cars to our left and right. If there's not a car to our right, we'll still align to that other car automatically. It's just something that we naturally do, even if the parking area doesn't really require it. I find that when people drop range bags down on benches or tables, they often have them 
almost perfectly in line uh, with the table in some way. Uh, the same thing when they put their range bags against a wall. It's We just constantly align things every day in our lives all the time. So aligning our sights is something that we're almost doing naturally. So I don't give it a lot of focus. I don't even talk about it much. Point the gun over here. And then after I've got a good trigger press in them, and that's the most important thing is what the problems people have, then I'll explain to them what site alignment should look like and what they should be seeing when they're uh, using that trigger press. So focus on the trigger first and, and get a good trigger press. If we were able to get all the Gunfighter Cast listeners together and go on a field trip and we went out to a local indoor shooting range and everybody was shooting handguns and the range was filled on a Saturday, I would bet you a significant amount of money of somebody else's money, that we would see a lot of targets down there being shot and the majority of the shooters missing low. Now, that's not any, you know, thing that Daniel Shaw found that's amazing and earth-shattering. It's pretty common knowledge that, that people go low. Uh, I absolutely despise the little wheels that have the, oh, you're bucking and flinching, man. I, that's where your shots are going. The little shot diagrams that tells you what your problem is but doesn't explain anything. And really your problem is you're misaligning the sights when you press the trigger because you have an improper trigger press. That's really the whole problem. It's what you're doing to the trigger is wrong. At the same time, the, the, what I'm seeing as far as uh, why those rounds are going low or, or when those rounds are going low, I'm seeing whenever, and I've got quite a bit of slow motion video uh, of this and with the target in the background and, and watching the shooter. When I'm seeing recoil going high and right because of whatever their grip is, or their position is, I'm seeing the shots go low left. When I see recoil go high left, I'm seeing the shots go low right. If it's going kind of straight up, I see the shots go low center. You get the idea. That basically reinforces what, what uh, you know, we believe is happening is whenever that trigger's being pressed, the body's kind of firming up, the subconscious, maybe even the conscious. It's okay. I know this is going to be the loudest thing I've heard in a really long time. It's going to jump in my hand in a small way. That front sight is kind of jumping toward my face. I don't like when things jump toward my face. I know that's going to happen when I press this button, so I'm going to press this button and force that gun down at the same time to compensate for that jump that's going to happen. And when I do that, I'm misaligning the sights at the most critical moment, and the round is not striking where I had the sights aligned before I added that incorrect trigger press. So that's been interesting, uh, and I'm seeing that almost 100%. Almost. Sometimes there's people that do a little funky thing but that's different than their recoil, but in most cases, it's almost equal and opposite the jump of the recoil which is, uh, I found quite interesting, which is why I am not a believer that the 22 caliber handgun is the best way to teach somebody like I've heard and been told for years. I completely disagree with the idea. If I just want to learn marksmanship fundamentals, just shooting accurately, having a little fun at the range, uh, and they never want to go any further, sure, 22s are awesome for that. But if someone is wanting to learn defensive shooting, how to fight with a gun, multiple rounds on target, I am not a believer in using a 22, not even starting them out with a 22, because if I'm shooting a 22, I'm not getting the report, I'm not getting the recoil, I'm not getting the jump, I'm not getting any of those things that I would from a defensive caliber. And I don't care what caliber you choose, but I'm not even engaging the actual fundamental error that that person is going to acquire based on the evidence that almost everybody has acquired that fundamental error, and we all have to fix it. So starting out with a 22, in my opinion, waste of time. Let's go straight to a defensive caliber and actually engage the problem with the trigger press that they're going to encounter later on. Why give a false sense of security or a, a, a false sense of ability? I find that brand new scared to death shooters are, have sometimes been conditioned that they need to start with a 22, but then I talk them into shooting a 9mm or 380, and they find that it's a, 
Okay, yeah, that wasn't a big deal at all. Uh, no trouble. And go with a larger frame gun if you need to. Uh, a little bit added weight, a little less felt recoil. A lot of things there, but start them out with a defensive caliber if they're going to be a defensive shooter because that way you get to actively engage the problem they're going to have and start them off right with the correct trigger press from the very beginning. The next thing, why do we? a lot of us shoot rifles better than handguns? And I find that I ask students that on a, almost a weekly basis now, uh, sometimes even a daily basis, and I'm getting all kinds of different answers, you know, sight radius, this and that, all kinds of different things of why they shoot uh, rifles better than they do handguns. But really, it's simple. The reason they shoot handguns or rifles better than they do handguns is because I've got a two and a half pound handgun with about a five pound trigger, pr- trigger pull. So if we're talking terms of pressure or pounds per square inch, it requires more pressure to take that trigger to the rear to make that gun to fire than it does the entire gun weighs altogether. Now, the opposite's true for the rifle because we've got about an eight pound gun and maybe a three and a half to five pound trigger in that thing. So the amount of pounds of pressure it takes to make that gun go bang are significantly less than the gun weighs. So you can almost get away with a bad trigger press a little bit with that rifle and you can't get away with it with a handgun at all. So brings me to the, uh, the main point here. How do we press the trigger? If I need to draw my gun at 2 a.m. at the gas pumps and put multiple shots on target, this is not going to be a slow, methodical trigger press. Uh, I've always hated the term slow, steady squeeze. Your trigger press does not have to be slow. It does not have to be steady. It doesn't have to be any of those things. We need to get shots on target quickly, whether we're shooting competition or whether we're using the gun for self-defense. I cannot be slow on my trigger press. But I may start out in my training pressing that trigger slow in order to learn my trigger, in order to learn the exact amount of pressure to press that trigger to make that gun go bang. So everything in a nutshell, the reason people are missing the target and missing low in most cases is because they're pressing a five pound trigger with 17 and a half pounds of pressure. They're pressing a five pound trigger with 22 and a half pounds of pressure. And then they're pressing that five pound trigger with 18 pounds of pressure. Uh, they're being very inconsistent with their trigger press and they're overpressing the trigger with more pressure than that thing takes. When we do that, we're going to misalign the sights on that gun that actually weighs less than the pounds of pressure it takes to make the gun go bang. So here's a little technique that I want you to try next time you're at the range. If you have a gun near you right now, uh, make sure it's unloaded. Show a third party. Make sure you don't have any ammo around there. Feel free to dry fire this and, and try this trigger press. It's not reinventing anything. It's still, I'm pressing the trigger. I get my good grip and all those good things. And in the trigger, we have two parts of the trigger. We have the slack and then we have the wall. Okay, that slack, you know, some guns are very long slack. Some of them have very short slack. Uh, some of them have a very crisp wall. Some of them have a very deep wall. Some of them are kind of spongy. Some of them are kind of like pressing a staple gun. Somebody told me yesterday, which made a lot of sense. Some of them are, are kind of long and heavy. It just depends on the gun. Uh, but they, most of them are going to have some slack, uh, single action or striker fires are going to have some slack, and then they're going to have a wall. My personal preference is I, I like a light, nice light slack, and I like a really crisp wall. I don't really care about reset or any of those things because I, I don't really even engage that the way I shoot. Uh, it might be something we discuss a little bit later on. So I take up that slack and I get to the wall. So I want you to think about this, that trigger, that finger. The, think that trigger finger has uh, the ability to weigh, the, the ability to read out the amount of pressure that you're applying to that trigger. And Let's say I wanted to make this gun go bang. I know that if I apply 50 pounds of pressure, the gun's going to go bang. But I don't want to apply 50 pounds of pressure because I know it's going to disturb my sights and I'm not going to get a good hit on the target. 
So I'm going to take up that slack, go to the wall, and I'm going to add one pound of pressure, two pounds of pressure, three pounds of pressure, four pounds of pressure, and then five pounds of pressure. Now, you may end up adding seven pounds of pressure. It's all about your perception of, of how much pressure you're adding to that trigger. But the goal here is to find out the exact amount of pressure that is required to make that gun go bang. Basically, when I'm done with this, after doing it a few times, I should be able to grab a pen and paper and write an essay. Maybe not an essay, maybe two sentences, maybe even a paragraph on what I felt in that trigger. I see people in gun stores all the time. I work in gun stores where they're like, oh man, feel this trigger. Snap it straight to the rear with 27,000 pounds of pressure. And they're like, oh man, that's a good trigger. They didn't actually feel the trigger. They have no idea what that trigger feels like because they overpress it, even standing there in the store trying a new gun to see if it's a gun that they like. I should be able to take that information that I got from building pressure slowly, adding more pounds of pressure to that trigger, and take that and write down, okay, I added one pound and I felt the trigger move a little bit. Maybe you end up feeling the trigger move three times. Maybe you feel a piece of grit in there like there's something dirty in that gun. Maybe you feel something kind of funky. Everybody feels something different in their triggers. And it's about how you apply the pressure and how the trigger moves and how the whole gun's designed. But you ought to be able to describe those things to get a perfect trigger press. Now, what this does, if I'm just adding pressure to the trigger, initially, it helps us disconnect the idea that that bullet's going down range right now and that gun's going to recoil from our mind. So our subconscious doesn't even know. All we're doing is adding pressure under perfect sight conditions. And if I lose my perfect sight conditions, I stop and hold what I got. And then when things are perfect again, I continue to build pressure on the trigger. So that causes that surprise shot that we've all been talked about and heard about and told about for years. And, you know, the surprise shot is really not a necessary thing, especially in self-defense. It's uh, probably not even uh, uh, recommended. So I want to be able to on-call put shots where I want them to go. And that's what we're going for. So I'm not disagreeing with that at all. Not, Not saying that we should be pressing our triggers slow as I described a little while ago. I'm saying that to help people shoot better and learn to shoot better, That is a tool that I have found that works really well starting out and sometimes restarting people who have a trigger problem. And I I run into a lot of experienced shooters with a serious trigger problem. And adding and building that pressure on the trigger uh, one pound at a time and thinking of it as I want to figure out the exact amount of pressure that it takes to make this trigger go bang. And then we do that. And every time we shoot, every time we practice, stop using that term defensive accuracy. Stop using the term combat accuracy. That's an excuse in training that people use when they cannot shoot guns good. There is a time in life when we need extreme precision in self-defense. There may be. There may be a time where I don't need extreme precision. I'm three yards from the target and I need to get shots in the high center chest, upper in the upper torso area somewhere. I don't need to shoot a button on the shirt. I need to get them in the chest. That's it. So if I know what it takes to apply extreme precision, a perfect shot, if I know what it requires of me at that distance to get a perfect shot, then I have a baseline. I have something to to take away from. I, I have a starting point where I know that I can sacrifice X amount of precision and add in X amount of speed. If I'm just jerking the trigger and shooting like crap and making the excuse on the range saying that's good combat accuracy or good defensive accuracy, or we don't need that high level of accuracy out here, it's okay if you don't shoot good, you'll still probably be okay. Completely disagree with it. Anytime we're practicing and we're not practicing perfection, you're wasting time and ammo. If we're practicing perfection and we've learned what it takes to make that gun go bang, we've learned what our finger needs to do to make that perfect trigger press. There's nothing slow about it. We just, when the sights are good or we're pointing where the gun needs to be pointed, 
then we just apply that amount of pressure that we need, and it really doesn't matter how rapid or how fast we're applying that amount of pressure. We're just applying applying that same amount of pressure, the exact amount of pressure that we need. And every time you go out to the range and you overpress the trigger, you're reinforcing a bad habit. So if you're on a range or you're in a class and you're not hitting all your rounds nice and tight in a nice little group, which a lot of folks, you know, let you get away with. And I, there's sometimes where, where people do it in my classes, but they, they always hear me yelling at them. Well, I don't yell at them, but they hear me correcting them and explaining and trying to inspire them to get back to training for perfection. I can get any monkey to come out and have them pull a trigger fast and hit a target at three yards and call it defensive accuracy. That's great. I want them to be able to shoot perfection. I want them to be able to be perfect with that gun. And then they get to decide, whether it's in competition or in life, how much precision they dial back to add in for speed. And then once we get faster, we'll find that there's not a whole lot difference uh, because we have a good, solid, perfect trigger press and we just apply that trigger press when the gun's pointed where it needs to be. So that's the goal. I encourage you to, to practice for perfection. And you know, I, I agree that you know, most defensive situations do not require a high level of precision. But what if I'm under a car and all I have is the ankle, which is pretty small, and, uh, and they're on the other side of the vehicle? What if I'm in, in some kind of public area and there's an active shooter event and my only shot on a target is 15 yards and I have a side view? It's not that full frontal bad guy that we always practice on the range and call it combat accuracy. What if they're 25 yards and it's a limited exposure target? All I have is the head and shoulder peeking out around the corner. Uh, and and I, I know that's my guy I need to smoke right now. And I've got a very limited amount of time. We need to have the ability to turn on extreme precision. We also need to have that knowledge of what it takes for extreme precision so that we can make the decision right there subconsciously and, and take away the accuracy and the precision that we do not need for that situation and trade it for speed and be even faster. So quick recap, next time you're at the range and you got your mags all filled up and ready to roll, load the gun, find your aiming area, take up the slack, go to the wall, add a pound of pressure, keep adding and practice that and see how much tighter your group screw. Do not command the gun to fire. Add pressure to the trigger under perfect sight conditions. And when the sight conditions are not perfect, stop pressing the trigger until they're perfect again and then continue adding a small amount of pressure in small little increments and that gun will go bang and you will see an increase in precision and consistency. And then as we learn that trigger press more, we don't have to do it in first gear anymore. Then we start doing it in seventh gear. We're even faster. That's quoting a buddy that I totally took a class with him and he used the trigger press that I was already doing. He used the reset that I was already doing, but the way he explained it kind of blew my mind. And uh, that's Houston Shaw, no relation uh, of Shaw shooting. He's out in Idaho. Uh, Really, really good class if you ever get a chance to take one with him. I'll throw a link of that in the uh, show notes for you. The last thing that I, was, I said I would talk about a little bit later, uh, real quickly, is we all know focus on the front sight, center of the rear sight, keep that front sight crystal clear, center of the rear sight, and then put it on your aiming area, and that's correct sight alignment, correct sight picture, all that good stuff. Awesome. What about you guys out there who wear transition lenses or bifocals or trifocals? I am seeing that those people are having a serious issue finding the correct lane in their lens what I call it, or area of their lens to look through to focus on that front sight and keep that in the rear sight and while maintaining focus on the target uh, in their, with their peripheral. It's, a, uh, it's very difficult. So something that I have found that, that works really well for them. Steve Fisher and I, I, well, I mentioned it a little bit when I was talking to Steve and a few episodes ago when we were talking about red dots on handguns, but what if I just focused on the target 
And even at great distance, and I'm not talking about just up close, what if I just focus on the target and I use my front sight and my rear sight as basically sight alignment? Something that, that I've been playing with a while, me and Paul Carlson talked about it for, I don't know, two, three years ago at some point. I just keep my front sight in the center of the rear sight. Now, my front sight's blurry. My rear sight's blurry. My target is clear and in focus, but I align three blurry points on that in-focus target just as I would superimpose a red dot on a target using a red dot. And I am finding that when I'm shooting it at greater distances like 50, 100 yards, that I get an increase in accuracy because I'm able to hold on that target better with the blurry front and blurry rear sight using the target focus uh, with the secondary peripheral focus on the sights. And I'm finding that people with transition lenses and the trifocals and bifocals are having much more success in shooting uh, whenever they use that technique. So if that fits you, uh, I hope it helps you out and I hope you guys uh, uh, get something good out of that. And if you guys have any questions or you have any successes or failures or completely disagree or hate everything that I just talked about without giving it a try, I don't want to hear about it. But if you did give it a try and you found something different, I'm here to learn too. I learn more doing this show than I do putting out information. So uh, if it helps you, awesome. I would love to know that it helps you. Just send me a message or, or something on uh, on the Facebook, uh, my public figure page. You can reach me at DanielShaw0369. Same thing on Instagram, Twitter, and all those other places. And DanielShaw0369 at Gmail for an email. So curious about feedback and if you have any further questions about this. Really quick show today, but I, I really appreciate you guys listening and I appreciate your iTunes feedback. And uh, when, when you go on there and you, you leave me a, a comment, that, that brings new listeners to the show and helps them find Gunfighter Cast. Uh, I also really appreciate all of the patrons out there who are helping support the show, pledging a small dollar amount per episode. That way, you can keep the show going, keep things happening, uh, and keep presenting information, answering questions, and, uh, and doing my thing. And, and you guys are making it happen. I really appreciate that. It means a lot. That's all I have today. Until next time, Gunfighter Cast out.